If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Drew Stevenson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's fun. At this stage in the life of our church, every week I feel like I'm meeting a ton of new people, and so if it's your first time here, I want to say welcome. It's great to have you here. We have been studying through the Gospel of John for several months now as a church, and one of the things that we've been seeing over and over again from all sorts of different angles in the Gospel of John is that Christianity is very different than morality. There was a common misconception that religion was about keeping your nose clean and following the rules then, and that's also true now. And so what we've been seeing from Jesus as he unfolds what his public ministry is going to be all about is we've seen him tell us that the kingdom of God is like him turning water into wine. Or the kingdom of God is like being born again. The kingdom of God is like being thirsty and having somebody give you water so that you're never thirsty again. The kingdom of God is like not remembering to bring your lunch to a huge picnic and someone supplying food for you. And this morning... Along those same lines, we're going to see that the kingdom of God is like Jesus giving sight to a blind person. See, Christianity is miraculous. The theme of the Gospel of John is not something we have to dig too hard for. He actually tells us in John 20, 31, that these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So let's look at this big idea this morning that Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And the first thing we're going to see under that heading is the purpose of suffering. And we'll see why quickly here. Look at John 9, verses 1 through 5 again. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, A problem is posed by our big idea that Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And the problem is, in order for Jesus to give sight to the blind, there have to be people that are blind, both physically and spiritually. And the disciples want to know why. And their connection is that this man that they're seeing on the side of the road is blind either because he sinned or because his parents sinned. Now, it's true, biblically speaking, that all of our suffering and all of our problems are, in one sense, related to sin. Because you flip back to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis, and you see that Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, and as a result of that, the whole world is fallen. 
But Jesus catches us at this point as he catches the disciples, and he says, but not so fast. That doesn't mean that every single individual instance of sin is directly correlated to the suffering that you or someone you love is experiencing in their life. See what Jesus says to his disciples. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it's not that his parents did something wrong. It's certainly not that he did something wrong while he was in the womb. But Jesus is saying there is a greater purpose to suffering than just punishment for sin. God is at work redemptively in the suffering of people so that his glory shines through it. Now, I think this is very personally helpful to us as Christians when we are going through suffering. Because one of the easiest things to do when you are suffering is to go into self-condemnation mode. To think that God is somehow punishing you for something you did, and so you might get this really guilty conscience, try to repent of everything that you've ever done in the past, thinking that your suffering is directly correlated with your sin. And some of you might have even been taught something like that. You might think that all suffering is related to individual sin, and so if you stop sinning, then you'll stop suffering. Now this one especially hits home for me. Guys, as I'm studying through this passage, and that's because I have a disabled child. I have a daughter who has an intellectual disability. And so I was thinking through this. If I believed that her intellectual disability was directly tied to her sin or to my sin or my wife Melissa's sin, then I would live with this constant plaguing sense of guilt. What did I do wrong? But Jesus lifts my eyes, he lifts our eyes, and he says, when you see suffering like this, look for the hand of God at work. And I've learned to see the hand of God in weakness and disability, specifically because of my daughter, Emma. One of the most beautiful things for me is to stand next to her when we are worshiping together as a church and to hear her sing praises to Jesus. There is a unique work of God that is displayed in weakness and suffering that would not have been displayed otherwise. The disciples could not have imagined what was going to happen next after asking this question. Actually, it's a pretty insensitive question if you read into the context too because they're asking it right in front of this guy who's blind. How much of a jerk can you be? But here's what they're going to see. Here's what we can see. They're going to see Jesus heal this guy 
But what we can see from our vantage point is that Jesus' plan was that literally billions of people would be touched by this man's story. His suffering mattered because the work of God was displayed in his life. Okay, so first of all, we see the purpose of suffering that the works of God might be displayed. The second thing we see in the text is the unpleasantness of healing. Look with me at verses 6 through 9. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So the first thing you have to know contextually is that in the way that Jesus chose to heal this man, Jesus was breaking the rules. See, one of the 39 things that had been added to God's law that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath was making dough. And the word for mud here is the same word for dough. And so John is alerting us that Jesus was intentionally, with the way that he's doing this, breaking the rules. He spit into mud and made some dough. And so the religious leaders are looking on later when they're hearing the story and they're thinking, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do work on the Sabbath. And so what Jesus does then, I mean, think how gross this would be. So this guy is already blind. Jesus spits on dirt, makes mud, and smears it onto the guy's eyes. And then, to make matters worse, he tells him that he's got to walk quite a distance and go wash in the pool of Siloam. Okay, here's what happens to this man. He is told to do something that sounds crazy, that in the short term is going to make his life worse. See, what's true is that even if you're blind, you can still see some light coming in usually. And so what happens is, by putting the mud over his eyes, Jesus makes his problem worse. For a short time, he makes him more blind. And then... He also makes another one of his problems worse. By being blind, he's a beggar, and so he's a total social outcast. And then he says, hey, I want you to go walk several miles to this pool to wash the mud off with saliva-filled dirt on your face. And this man, from what we can see, he does it without hesitation, Now, why does he obey Jesus without hesitation? Because he's blind. And Jesus is telling him that if he does that, he'll be able to see. No one's ever told him that if they do this or that, that they can make him see. So even though the process of getting to the healing is unpleasant to him, he is willing to do anything to get well. Now, isn't this true 
for us, not just in the spiritual realm, in terms of obedience to Jesus, but also in our normal lives. There's lots of things that we have to do in order to get better that in the interim make our lives feel worse. Okay, one such example for me was a few years ago, I discovered that I had kidney stones. And so at various points throughout the day, the pain would get so intense that I would fall down to my knees and feel like I was going to die. And so I knew I've got to do something about this. So I go to the doctor and he tells me that I have one kidney stone on this side and one kidney stone on this side, which is going to require two different surgeries. Okay? The surgery for kidney stones, if anyone's had this, it's horrible. And, and I learned that pretty quickly, like what is actually going to happen. I'll spare you the details, but after the surgery, let me just tell you that when I peed, it felt like I was peeing shards of glass, okay, for multiple days. Now, why was I willing to do that? Because I enjoy that type of pain. Like I heard, oh yeah, I'd really like to experience that. No, but because by going through the pain, I believed that it would make my life better. In the interim, it made my life worse. In the long term, it has made my life better. So it is with obedience to Jesus. See, what we'll see in this text is that, yes, Jesus healed this man who was blind, but as an illustration for us of our spiritual blindness. One of the things that God asks us to do as Christians, there's many things that he asks us to do in obedience that seem crazy, that seem like they'll make our life worse. But one such thing is confessing our sin. And some of us this morning, we are hiding our sin. And we know that Jesus is telling us, you need to come clean. You need to confess your sin. And we feel like that would be like putting mud on our face. It seems like it would make us more blind. We feel like that would be like walking in front of hundreds of people on a way to a distant pool. It feels to us like it would be something crazy. And here's what Jesus is telling us. It is never crazy to obey me. Obedience is the pathway to joy. And in the interim, it will feel like it is making your life worse. The healing process is unpleasant, but desperately needed. Okay, so we've seen so far the purpose of suffering, the unpleasantness of healing. The third thing we see is the courage of beggars. Look with me at verses 24 through 34 again. It says, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, 
I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Okay, let me set the stage of this. Just before this part of the story... The Pharisees have confronted the blind man's parents. And they're asking them if he was really born blind. And his parents are unwilling to tell the Pharisees that Jesus healed him, that he was born blind, and that now he could see. The reason that they were unwilling to do that is they knew that they would be socially ostracized. See, to be part of the synagogue during that time was your ticket to getting a job. It was your social standing in society. It was your religious access. To not be part of the synagogue in a Jewish society was to be a complete social outcast and to put yourself at risk in every single way, including financially. And so they don't completely deny that he's been healed by Jesus and that he used to be able to see. But they say, why don't you ask him? He's of age. Go ahead. He can tell you. We're not going to tell you. And so they go to this formerly blind man and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. What are they saying? Don't tell us anything good about Jesus. Don't make up a story about him that's not true. Give glory to God, meaning honor God by telling us that his son, whom he sent into the world to save sinners, is a sinner. And we see something remarkable happen. This man, who was formerly blind, who it was believed by society was blind because of some sin that he had committed, stands up to the religious establishment. And he says to them, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It's very simple. To this man. You want to talk about whether he was a sinner or not. Here's all I want to talk about. I can see. I was blind. I've been blind my whole life. Now I can see. The Pharisees are having absolutely none of it. They're saying, okay, let's investigate this claim further because we don't think that could possibly be true. And so they ask again, how did he open your eyes? He's already told them how he opened his eyes. 
He put mud on my eyes. He told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he's like, what are they getting at? So this is where the conversation gets real. He says, I told you already, you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They revile him. You can see them. They're just getting so angry, maybe cussing him out, the the religious version of cussing him out, of course, because they don't cuss. They're too good for that. And they say, we don't need to be his disciples because we're disciples of Moses. What are they saying? They're saying, we don't need the healing, redeeming work that Jesus has already offered because we're good little boys. We've obeyed God's law. We've kept our noses clean. We've kept the rules. See, we don't need a savior. We just need rules. And the reason that we weren't blind, here's the subtext, the reason that we weren't blind is because we've kept the rules. The reason our lives have gone well is because we've kept the rules. The reason that your life was terrible is because you are a sinner. This is the man's response. He is amazed. They end up saying, we don't know where this man came from. He says, this is amazing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Their response to him at the end, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. He's amazed. He's amazed by what? The blindness of the Pharisees. For the first time in human history, a person opened up the eyes of a blind man. And the Pharisees can't see the identity of that person, that that person was sent from God. All they can see is their religious rules. All they can see is their own defensive pride. And the beggar can see. He can see the reality about Jesus and he stands up to the religious establishment knowing that he is going to be kicked out. See, what's true is that if you try really, really hard to keep the rules, to keep your ducks in a row, to give the appearance that you're a good person, you will be radically insecure. And you will constantly be trying to fit into the religious establishment. If you receive the free grace of Jesus, you will be radically bold because you will have an identity that is based on his saving work, not on your flabby goodness. Guys, I've seen this over and over again doing ministry over the years. I remember... There was a guy that I was discipling several years ago who felt like after being saved that God was calling him to be baptized. And he had grown up in a religious household, but not a Christian household. He'd gone to church every Sunday, but it wasn't until college that he gave his life to Christ. 
And he wanted to get baptized. So we're meeting together. And he says to me, hey, I want to get baptized. But here's the thing. I talked to my parents about it. And they said that if I get baptized, that I'm not welcome at their home anymore. That I'm, I'm done. I'm kicked out. I can't come home. I'm basically not their son anymore. He said, what should I do? So I kind of took a deep breath. And I think I said something like, well... In Muslim countries, if you give your life to Christ, they might chop your head off. And so we live in this like bubble of American Christianity where it doesn't cost us much, but you have an awesome opportunity to show us that following Jesus is worth everything. And so he decided that that's what he was going to do. Now, this is what actually happened toward the end of the story. He, uh, he called up his parents, told them that he was going to get baptized, and was super nervous about that conversation. It took him weeks to, to get up the courage to do it. And you know what the response was? It was, when are you getting baptized? We'll come. So, you know, they were bluffing because they were scared because they thought he was, he was going off the deep end. But here's the thing. The gospel of grace makes you bold because it gives you a new identity in what Jesus can do for you, not what you can do for him. Your identity becomes, I am saved by grace, even though I am a very broken person, instead of, I am a good person, trying to be perfect. Okay, so we see the purpose of suffering, the unpleasantness of healing, the courage of beggars, and finally, the effect of light. Look with me at 35 through 41 to close. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So this is a beautiful moment. Jesus hears that this man has become a social outcast. He's been kicked out of the synagogue and he's all alone. And Jesus goes and finds the man and they have a conversation. Jesus says to him, do you believe in the son of man? The blind man doesn't know what he's talking about and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus says to him, you've seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And then the blind man says, something beautiful. He says, Lord, I believe. Now, if you read back through the whole passage, this man has been on a journey. At the beginning, he's asked, who healed you? And he refers to Jesus as a man. Later on, he's asked who he believes Jesus is, and he says that Jesus is a prophet. Later on, he's asked who Jesus is, and he says that Jesus has been sent from God. So he goes from man to prophet to sent from God. 
And he comes face to face with Jesus again. And he calls him Lord. He calls him God. He recognizes that Jesus is no mere man, but God who has become a man. And then, in another act of courageous boldness, can you imagine this scene? They're having this conversation. The Pharisees who just kicked him out of the synagogue are evidently right there because they can hear the conversation, and he worships Jesus. Hands up, face to the ground, calling him God, unafraid of what anyone else thinks. Why is he doing that? Jesus says the reason that he's doing that is because he can see Not just with his eyes, but with the eyes of his heart. He sees who Jesus really is. To not worship Jesus as God is ridiculous. The only reason you would not do that is because you are blind. And Jesus says to the man that the reason that he came into the world was for judgment. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, this is a little bit confusing because in John chapter 3, in another famous passage, Jesus says that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it seems like here Jesus is saying the opposite of what he said there. So what is he getting at? I think what Jesus is saying is that his intention in coming into the world was to shine his light so that people would be attracted to him. But there are people, because of the blindness of their own heart, who instead of being attracted to the light, are repulsed by the light. They run from it. Because if you look directly at Jesus and if you worship Jesus, you can no longer be worshiping yourself. His light exposes, yes, that he is glorious and that he can open the eyes of the blind, but it also exposes that you are deeply in need of him. That you're a sinner. So the Pharisees, overhearing this conversation... Ask a perceptive question. Are we also blind? They understand he's not talking about physical sight anymore. He's talking about spiritual sight. We're at a deeper level of conversation. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Here's the paradox of the gospel of God's grace. If you think that you see, you're blind. And if you know that you're blind, you can see. Knowing that you're blind is the first step into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus came into the world to rescue sinners. The only qualification to be a Christian is to be blind, to be a sinner. 
to need him. So here's the thing. We can respond to Jesus in one of two ways right now. Think about the relationship that celebrities must have with each other, okay? Imagine that you were an actor and both of you, you and another actor were both going for the same role in a movie. And let's say that that person was a little bit better looking than you and a little bit more talented than you and so they got the role. And everyone else is celebrating that person like they did an amazing job in that movie, that movie was excellent, that movie was incredible. And you can't even go see the movie. You are seething inside. Why? Because you can't admire that person because you're competing with that person. Two choices with Jesus. Admire him, bow down to him, worship him as God, or compete with him by trying to be the God of your own life, by trying to keep your nose clean and keep the rules and convince everyone else of something that even you know is not true, that you're good. Okay, so what's the application of this message? I think the application of this message actually comes from Ephesians chapter 118. And this is really interesting because it has application both for those of us who would not yet consider ourselves Christians and those of us who are Christians. Paul in Ephesians 1 is writing to Christians. And this is what he says his prayer for even Christians is. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. See, even as Christians, there is a level of spiritual blindness that is present in each of us such that every day we need Jesus to open our eyes. We are just as dependent on Jesus for the process of our sanctification, that is becoming more like him day to day, as we were for us to see him as beautiful and worthy of our worship before we were saved. So here we are, a bunch of blind people needing the healing touch of Jesus. Would you pray with me that he would open our eyes? Jesus, there are Um, levels of blindness spiritually in each of our lives that we have lived with for so long that we become delusional. We think that we see. God, would you humble us? Would you show us the need that we have on a daily basis for you to open our eyes. And then would you give us the courage to take the remedy that you give us, even if it feels embarrassing, even if it it feels senseless, that we would be like this man who was willing to walk miles with mud on his face, believing that you would bring healing through such an unpleasant thing. 
Would you help us by your spirit to do the unpleasant thing? To go in for surgery that we could experience your healing touch again. In Jesus' name.